If you're a man and you're listening to this episode, don't stop. <laughs> because a utopia for women is really a utopia for men, too. This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, February 11th. I'm Tori Stilwell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I am joined by my co-host Aki Ito in Tokyo, where she's the temporary bureau chief. Hello. <laughs> hey, Tori. How's it going? Pretty good. How are things out in Japan? It's been really frantic. It's good to hear your voice again. <laughs> What's been the most frantic? What's been the craziest? thing that we should uh, tell all our listeners about? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, we had quite a frantic moment in the office just yesterday uh, when the yield on 10-year Japanese government bonds slid past zero for the very first time. Uh, and since then, over the last two days, they've been kind of hovering uh, back and forth between a slightly positive number and a slightly negative number. Wow. Sounds kind of arcane and kind of nerdy, but yeah, in our world of finance, it's such a big deal. Yeah, it's crazy to imagine borrowing money for 10 years and not having to pay any interest on that. If only you had the creditworthiness of the Japanese government plus a central bank that was buying tons of your debt, right? Right, exactly. Be so nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, a girl can dream. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, on to our main topic for today. Uh, I've been really excited to do this episode for a while since, Tori, you and I are both women. Yes, we are. And and we are both women with careers. Yes. And uh, when I moved to the U.S. four years ago from Japan, I really felt like the U.S. was just so far ahead of Japan when it came to gender equality and conditions for women in the workplace. And it was just such a fresh breath of air for me to be able to work in uh, an environment like that. But the the funny thing is that the, well, I guess it's not that funny, it's kind of sad, but the U.S. is actually much farther behind uh, when you compare it against some advanced economies like Scandinavia. Um, it's just gender equality here still has some work ahead of it. That's right. And so I was kind of thinking, what is it like to work in Scandinavia as a woman, you know, in this kind of like utopian heaven. And lucky for us, we have an amazing reporter in Oslo who also happens to be a woman. And since Dan's traveling in London this week, it's going to be a conversation this week amongst the three of us young women. And let me interject here and say, if you're a man and you're listening to this episode, don't stop. <laughs> because a utopia for women is really a utopia for men, too. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Let's introduce our guest for today. Saleya Mosin's on the line with us all the way from Norway. Hey, Saleya, how's it going? Good. How are you, Aki? Good, thanks. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. Yeah, great. Really excited to join you. 
We, I feel like we always talk about the weather, but I've never been to Norway. So what's the weather like in Norway right now? <laughs> yeah, it's um, not as cold as it was last month. That was probably the coldest winter or January that I've had in Norway since I moved here four years ago. How cold um, are we talking here? Um, it was like minus seven or eight for two weeks straight. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that sounds mixed. Very, very cold. (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit more about you, Sleha. Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Where all have you lived? Yeah, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, born and raised in the wonderful Midwest, which is where I went to college. It's where I landed my first job, which was at a regional business paper in Columbus. I ended up in London in 2008, just months before the financial crisis hit, which is an interesting time to be in a financial capital. Yeah. I did my master's there. I had my my son there. And um, in 2011, my family and I, we escaped from that um, and came to Norway, where the country's massive oil riches have helped Norway avoid the same financial calamities that the rest of the world experienced in 2010 and 11. Um, And I've been at Bloomberg's Oslo Bureau for almost three years now. So together, we represent uh, the U.S., Japan, Norway... The UK. Tori, have you lived anywhere other than um, the US? I, the South, I think, counts as like its the own South. country. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of countries there. Um, you know, so like, coincidentally, you live in the world's best country for working women. That's according to the World Economic Forum's Gender Gap Report, where Norway ranked number one in economic participation and opportunity. And that's out of 145 countries. So that's pretty amazing. And for some context here, the U.S. ranked number six in the sub-index, which is pretty good. I don't know where the South would rank there, but, you know, on <laughs> average, <laughs> America's number six. Uh, Japan was, was uh, 106, uh, which was worse than a lot of, uh, a lot of developing countries. Pretty That's bad. really, really surprising. I had no idea it was that bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was not surprised. It's pretty horrible. And the UK was 43rd, which was a lot worse than I had expected, too. So, Saleha, what are some things that popped out at you when you moved to Norway? Because, you know, this episode is all about what it's like to be in the world's best country for working women. So what are some things that illustrate that for you, just how great women have it there? You know, I'd actually say that what stood out to me most was uh, seeing men pushing strollers. If you pick any weekday afternoon, walk down the street, you'll see loads of fathers that are out and about with their small kids. When I moved here, my son was 15 months old, and as I was getting to know people and know how things work, um, we would show up to these different playgroups around Oslo, and there were always a couple of fathers in the room, which I found really fascinating. You know, you'd talk to them and say, yeah, I've taken three, four months off for paternity leave, um, and the kid would be six, seven months old. And to me, what that meant was that for each dad that's out there with their small kid, there is a mom who is able to go back to work a little sooner, continue the climb up the career ladder, rather than yeah. take a few years off to have one or two kids, and then end up falling behind as your male peers race ahead of you. When we were brainstorming for this episode, Soleil, you called it a men's liberation movement. Tell us what you mean. Well, 
In the early 90s, Norway introduced a daddy quota for parental benefits. So the total leave that you get is between 50 and 60 weeks off. That can be split pretty much any which way between the parents. I mean, obviously, the beginning is reserved for the mother. And then there are 10 weeks that are called the daddy quota, which if the father does not take that time off, those 10 weeks are lost. So it's basically money that you're losing. Um, On top of that, the government makes up your salary. So you take time off after having a baby. Um, The government will pay about $62,000 a year. If you earn more than that, then it's not uncommon for a Norwegian firm to make up the difference. And that right there, having that rule means that there's a working culture where it is acceptable for men and women to be away for six months to a year because they've just had a baby. But then after Mm -hmm. the first year, year and a half has gone by, it could be the father or the mother who takes time off when schools are closed or your kid is sick. It's kind of built into the working environment that you know, you take time off for your kids, and there's no roll of the eye. There's no sighing, oh, God, they're gone again Right. they have two kids. Right. It sounds like the entrance and exit ramps for both men and women are just really smooth in Norway and really make it possible to just sort of pick back up where you left off. Yeah, and it also makes you feel as a woman that you won't necessarily get passed over for being a woman because hiring a man could also mean six months, eight months mm, of yeah. parental leave. Yeah, you said that you were hired as a res- because you were taking over for someone who was on maternity leave, right? Yeah, I was brought in as a contract worker uh, full time to take over when my predecessor um, took a year off when she had her baby, and um, it was kind of dangled to me that you know we'll hire you if you're good, this kind of thing. And and to me, I just thought one year at Bloomberg will not hurt. So even if they can't hire me, at least I've got one year under my belt. Um, and I was very very lucky where they were able to keep me on board. Yeah, it sounds like it worked out really well. Which That's is common amazing. in Norway. For a lot of people, it's how they get their their first bit of work experience. They get their foot in the door. You've never had, I guess, a situation where you've been a working mom in the U.S. then? No. I had my son after I left in London. Wow. So what, I mean, how different do you think your life would be if that weren't the case? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think I would have spent more time at home and not gone back to work as soon as I did. I still took more time off than the average Norwegian. I went back to work when my son was around three, simply because we moved, you know, um, yeah. countries okay. in between. But I guess I'll find out what it's like to be a working mom pretty soon. I'll be moving to the D.C. Bureau for Bloomberg. Um, that's right. Coming yeah, to hang out with right. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, earlier we talked about how when men take time off, it becomes a lot easier for women to come back into the workforce, too. For a little bit more context here, in Norway, 76% of women and 80% of men participate in the workforce. So women are very close to being as equally involved in the labor market as are men. Uh, In Japan, only 66% of women work compared with 85% for men. So that's a pretty big gap there. I think the U.S. is somewhere in between. And I think another way to think about this is, although Japan's population is shrinking and uh, companies are scrambling to find workers for all kinds of jobs, there's this huge pool of underutilized workers. 
that really does make for a real economic case for governments to create better working environments for women. Yeah, I know a couple different groups have all talked about this as a way uh, to combat that productivity problem that we have talked about on the show so many times, um, you know, as as we get economies that are aging and that are maturing, um, one untapped pool for them really is women and drawing more women into the workforce. Uh, It's just this vast opportunity that many countries have, and they aren't uh, making full use of it yet. Yeah. um, You know, in terms of economic benefit, what I can say is that the participation of women in the workforce in Norway has gone up from about 50% in the 70s to 74%, 75% today. Um, and I think that Norway, at least according to the OECD, um, Nordic countries in general have some of the smallest gender gaps in the world. And Norway is a star even amongst the Nordics, having made very steady progress, closing the gap between men and women by about 5% over the last 10 years. It kind of sounds like one of those cases where, you know, a government implements a very progressive policy and it takes a while for the effects to seep through the culture. But at this point, it sounds like it's just so normal for men to take leave. It's so normal for a wife and a husband to equally share the burden of raising a kid that you don't think twice about it anymore. Yeah, that's true. But in Norway, there actually still is some room for improvement. I mean, you could say, like, there are more women in the public sector than the private sector. So you look in parliament or even um, the leading politicians in the country, the prime minister, the finance minister, defense minister, they're all women. The heads of the business confederation, labor union are also women. Um, The interesting thing is that this is not a big deal. No one's talking about it, how great it is or it's not great. It just is. But when you That's look amazing. at yeah, but when you look at the central bank um, or non-elected officials, it's mostly men. Um, all three central bankers that we have are men. There are 13 executives that oversee the nation's sovereign wealth fund, which is the biggest in the world, and just thir- two of those 13 are women, and those were added very, very recently in the last two years. Um, and even if you look at the 25 biggest companies on the Oslo Stock Exchange, men dominate the executive suites in those companies. This is all fascinating, and I definitely want to pick this back up after the break, and we get a word from our sponsor. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity, and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. So there's this really interesting story that we ran out of the Tokyo Bureau just a couple days ago um, about this lawmaker who asked for time off from Parliament uh, to take care of his newborn baby. 
And he came under intense fire as a result, really intense criticism. All these relatively older uh, lawmakers within his political party were like, oh my gosh, like you can't do that. Like you're a lawmaker, you, you can't miss all these very important votes. Um, and so I think as of now, he's still not allowed to take paternity leave. It sounds like a pretty different situation from Norway. Wow, it'd be nice if uh, if in the U.S. lawmakers didn't want to miss votes. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leah, uh, how do you balance the responsibility of taking care of your child with your husband? I'd say it's pretty split, 50-50. Um, if he gets sick or needs a day off from kindergarten, whichever one of us has a lighter or more flexible workload for the day will be the one to stay home. And your your child is five years old, is that right? Yeah, he's five. Um, I have to say that my husband, he's always been interested in being an involved father, but when we were living in the UK, the difference was that in London, circumstances kind of pushed us into the classic 1950s family. He was working long hours. I had very little time to look for work. You know, I was cooking and cleaning and um, taking care of our son while he was out bringing home the bacon. (laughs) Um, Uh But in Norway, we both have time to be focused at work and at home. Oh, that's great. Do you think moving to Norway has changed him in any way, like changed his attitude towards family or or your career? I mean, like I said, he was always supportive of my career and interested in being an involved father. But when it comes to things like the thought of taking an extended paternity leave, I remember when we first moved here, he thought, oh, I could never stay at home for three, four, five months. But Uh now I think he really wishes that when we had our son back in London, he could have stayed home a little bit longer than just oh, huh. that he did. Well, it's nice. I mean, it, it's so great when money isn't really an issue and you're trying to fix these really big social problems like gender equality. And it sounds like Norway has come very close to to doing that, not totally fixing it, but it's on the right path. And like we've talked about, they have this gigantic sovereign wealth fund that's funded by oil. Uh, but oil as most people probably know, hasn't been doing too great lately. So I'm wondering, um, I guess I have like two questions in mind. One is how, if if any, if any way, that will impact Norway's implementation and, and ways that it tries to fix social problems by just really bankrolling everything and, and having the ability to do that. And B, uh, you know, what other countries can do that don't have just this, these massive amounts of cash to throw around? Is there no hope for them? Yeah, <laughs> those are two really big questions. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely answer the first. Um, you know, yeah, it's a massive fund, $810 billion saved away in foreign markets um, so that the economy domestically isn't overheated, is, is nothing to, to laugh at, and no one else has it. It's the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world. Um, but to start with, they use the money wisely, the implementing the daddy quota and these kinds of parental benefits where m- money is not a problem. You're on paternity leave, parental leave, and you're still earning. That started in the early 90s. So it seems like Norway and even Scandinavia kind of cottoned on to the importance um, and the economic benefits of keeping women in the workforce pretty early. But when it comes to what the effects are of the oil price dropping, Norway is not like countries like Saudi Arabia or even Nigeria, where the fiscal budget is very, very dependent on the oil fund. They have 
so much of it and so much oil revenue that they are now starting to dip into the fund this year to plug budget holes, but it is five billion kroner of seven trillion kroner <laughs> so far. Um, so oil prices won't really affect the benefits in that respect, but there is talk that on the longer term, Norway needs to be a little less reliant on oil, and that could be an adjustment in welfare benefits. Hmm. What do you think? What do you think? A you know, a country like the U.S. should do if you you can't tap into this gigantic wealth fund that's funded by oil, which seems to... pretty likely given given the state of politics here and and sort of the gridlock that we always see in Washington and the inability to get anything done. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, politics everywhere. I think there's some yeah. of that here in Norway, but across Scandinavia, I mean, Scandinavia and the Nordics all rank very, very high when it comes to these gender gap indexes. Um, And Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, they don't have a massive servant wealth fund to Mm. turn to, but they're still doing pretty well. And I I wonder if it's just that they, they decided earlier that this is important, but also that labor unions have a pretty big voice in these countries, so workers are better able to get what they want. Yeah, and oh, here in the U.S., the, the the presence of labor unions has been on just a pretty rapid decline over the last few years. You know, Salia, do you think by the time your five-year-old son maybe gets married and has his own kids, Norway will be a completely equal country? Or maybe women will have taken over? Hopefully by the time my son is is grown up with his own family and kids, I hope that the gender gap is obviously much narrower in the U.S. In Norway, I think it seems like, from what I hear in the private sector, if women are behind, it might not necessarily be because there is a ceiling. It might just be because women choose to go into the public sector. So it kind of is up to women now to, I think, make strides and and do what's left. Yeah, because there's you said that there's... um uh, women work in the public sector in much higher ratios than men, and people typically in the public sector get paid a little bit less, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. But they probably get a little bit more flexibility when it comes to benefits. I guess we should end on that really optimistic note. It's up to Norway's women to lead the world in this brave new world. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play, and everywhere else, basically. (laughs) And while you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at Akiito7, at Tori Stillwell, and our guest Saleya is at Saleya Mosin. Mosin's spelled with an H in the middle. See you next week. We at Bloomberg are proud of our new and growing slate of original content podcasts. They include Benchmark, a jargon-free dive into the stories that drive the global economy. It's hosted by Tori Stilwell, Aki Ito, and Dan Moss. Odd Lots, hosted by Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway, takes you on a not-so-random walk through hot topics in markets, finance, and economics. And each week, Bloomberg m and reporter Alex Sherman 
discusses market-moving news about mergers in Deal of the Week. From Washington and points in between, meantime, we showcase the intersection of politics and pop culture with Culture Caucus, hosted by John Heilman and Will Leach from Bloomberg Politics. And then there's Masters in Politics, hosted by veteran TV producers Tammy Haddad and Betsy Fisher-Martin. This bi-weekly podcast features extended conversations with candidates, campaign strategists, and journalists. You can find all these podcasts on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and any one of your very favorite podcast platforms. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.